if you do not know this morning that he will hold you fast, then you have never yet met my Savior. Because he does, does hold us fast. We are held securely in the palm of his hand. And for that we can give thanks. We look at the book of First John and we find that there we can know that we have eternal life. We can know the assurance that comes knowing that the Holy Spirit lives within us. The Holy Spirit has been given as a down payment of our inheritance. Again, for that, we can give thanks. This morning we are going to look a little bit deeper at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which is a common book and passage to be able to look at when it comes to communion. But I want us to look at this from a few different perspectives this morning before we actually partake of communion. You see, there are a lot of people that misunderstand what communion is. There are some who come and they say, oh, there's a little bit of a snack up there. Well, it's not much of a snack. It is simply a reminder, a remembrance of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And as we are examining our hearts this morning, as we are commanded to do in the book of 1 Corinthians, every time we come to the table of the Lord, the first thing that we need to remember is the historical truth of the cross. You see, there are a lot of beliefs, there are a lot of religions in the world who don't believe that Jesus Christ actually died on the cross. In fact, if somebody ever comes and knocks on your door, the first thing you should ask them is, who do you say Jesus Christ is? Because if they can't give you a biblical answer, they are to be rejected. We are even told not to tell them, God bless you. If somebody comes to your door and they want to try to impress upon you that maybe after you have been with them in their church for a while and you can get to the deeper things, you will learn that Jesus Christ is actually brother of Satan. Or maybe you will learn that Jesus Christ really didn't die because in the darkness and in all the confusion that took place that it was actually Judas Iscariot that was put on the cross and he died. There are all kinds of wacky belief systems that are out there, but when we come to the scriptures, we must come, as he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I invite you to turn there with me. My apologies, hold on to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And turn the other direction. That was a different verse for 15, chapter 15, verse 3 and 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4. Paul writing, and he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with with the scriptures. It is said that Thomas Jefferson, who wrote his own paraphrase of the New Testament, ended it with the saying, or the writing, and Jesus died. You see, Thomas Jefferson didn't believe in miracles. He didn't believe that it was possible for God to be able to do this, to be raised from the dead. And there are many people who don't believe it. Either they don't believe it 
by the knowledge that they have in their mind or they don't believe it in the way that they live their lives. And you may find yourself in one of these two camps this morning. You see, we can say that we believe in Jesus Christ. That's great. Because if I were to ask you to raise your hand, if you believe in Jesus Christ or if you believe in God this morning, raise your hand. That's great. You know what that's done? That's elevated you to the level of the demons. Because the demons believe and they tremble. You see, it's much more than that. There has to have come a point in your life, which is why we celebrate this remembrance. And it's one more time before Jesus Christ returns and yet one less time until he returns that we get to celebrate. And the problem is that there may be some and they think because they are a member of a certain church or because they have shaking the preacher's hand or because they put money in the offering plate or because they've been a teacher or a pastor or a deacon or whatever it may be. And you may think that that is what is going to take you to the other side and when you stand before God, he's going to just weigh the good against the bad and he's going to let you in through the pearly gates. The Bible doesn't speak of that at all. You see, the one reason why, one of the reasons why we celebrate the elements that are before us is because it is a sobering reminder of what Jesus Christ had to do in order that we might be able to partake of this today. It's a solemn occasion that we partake of this. And it's sobering because it should force us to examine our hearts to see whether we truly are of the faith. You see, this is where we talk about life experiences. I, I've talked about with several of you about this. If we go to the book of 1 John, and we find that there are certain tests or exams that we can take there that will tell you whether you're a believer. If you have any questions whatsoever, there are a number of ways you can find out whether you truly do know Jesus Christ. Number one, do you love your sin more than you love God? Do you love His Word? Do you love God himself. Do you agree with what God has to say about our sin? If you do not, the Bible is very clear that you do not know him. You are not of the faith. There are a lot of people who think that because they're a good person, because they were born in America, because whatever it may be, you could fill in the blank. And we have used this term or this question before, but if you were to stand before God and he is not going to do this because God doesn't have to ask you anything, God owes you nothing, you're not going to have a debate with God when you get to heaven. But if he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? The question or the answer to that is going to determine whether you actually will be in heaven or not. You see, if any part of your answer starts with I, me, myself, you're not going. Because everything has to be based on what we see behind me on the wall, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. When he died on the cross and he said, it is finished. He didn't mean it was finished in order for you to be able to do something to add to what the God of the universe could only accomplish on the cross of Calvary when he died to pay for our sin. Not just to pay for our sin, but to atone for the wrath of God. You see, there is a lot found even in evangelicalism. And you will hear things like, God is love. Yes, God is love. But God is equally a God of wrath. 
A God of wrath who says sin must be punished. And either Christ atoned for your sin so that you will never have to suffer that or you will suffer for all of eternity in a Christless eternity in hell striving to pay for a sin that you will never be able to pay for. This is why this is so sobering. Every time you see these elements come out, it should remind you, number one, if you're a believer, either I can rejoice that Jesus Christ did this for me or you need to be examining your heart to see whether Christ is going to condemn you at the judgment. The historical truth of the cross even Josephus, in the antiquities of, of Josephus that were written, he, he even acknowledges the fact that Jesus Christ existed. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if in this life only we have hope, we are of all men most miserable. Why would we want to believe? Why would you want to come and waste your time on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or a Wednesday night or listen to gospel music, or listen to the messages being preached on the radio. Why would you want to do that if Jesus Christ was nothing more than a good man? Jesus Christ was more than a prophet. He was the perfect prophet. He was king. He was the priest. And because of him, we now have the ability to be able to walk into the throne room of God and call him our father. But not everybody has God as their father. Only those who have come to the point where the Holy Spirit has convicted them of their sin. I wish I could go back and keep track of all of the times, the number of times people have talked to me or I've shared the gospel or I've given them a track and say, oh, I'm a good person or that, well, I'm not a sinner. Do you ever do bad things? Yeah, but I'm not a sinner. You ever told a lie? Yeah, but that doesn't make me a sinner. And the question that we ask repeatedly is, how many sins does it take you to make you a sinner? None. You're born a sinner. You are born separated from the love of God. You are born separated from the holiness of God. This is why the Lord Jesus Christ, number two, in examining our hearts this morning, if you do not believe in the historical truth of the cross, the table that is before you this morning is not for you. You have to know the truth of the cross. You have to see, secondly, Jesus Christ as the substitutionary atonement. This is a long theological phrase and it simply means that somebody took your place. This should cause us to rejoice. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. And verse 18. For Christ also suffered, how many times? Once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. You see, this is singular. The righteous because only Jesus Christ was righteous. For the unrighteous, those who are apart from God, he suffered on their behalf that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. 
This is what we're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. This is the great exchange. We listened to that song uh, last week or the week before. His robes for mine. Can you imagine? The king of all the universe allows you to be clothed in what rightfully belongs to him and what rightfully belongs to you. He took upon himself. Because as we're told in the Old Testament, the only thing that we can bring to the table is our filthy rags. The very best we can hope to do. If you think that God is going to take your good and your bad and weigh one against the other with the hopes, the 50-50 chance that you're going to get into heaven, you don't understand the scriptures. Because everything is going to be on the bad side. This is because in our first Adam, this is because Adam sinned. He chose to rebel against the Most High God. Instead of enjoying the fellowship and walking in the cool of the garden every evening, Adam decided that he and his wife Eve would listen to the lies of Satan. Did God really say that? Yes, God did say that. This is why we remember his death because we are the ones that deserve death. Before we can place ourselves in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in that, on that middle cross, we must remember that we deserve to be one of the thieves hanging on either side of him. The substitutionary atonement. Somebody had to die as Hebrews chapter 9 says, without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins. And so Christ, the second person of the Holy Trinity, laid aside his glory, came down to this earth, was born of a woman. When the fullness of time was come, as Galatians chapter 4 tells us, and then we are reminded in Philippians chapter 2 as he grew and he came to the point where he began his ministry, he came for one purpose, not to look for an alternative. There was no plan B. There could never be a plan B or God, Jesus Christ, would not have been God. There was one plan to go to the cross, period. And he came so that he might go to the cross, so that he might die, so that the wrath of God would be covered. We have looked at the numbers before, especially in some of our Sunday evening and Wednesday classes. If you were to agree with me that you had violated the standards of God even one time every single day over the course of 70 years, you would have sinned 25,550 times. Now what I want you to do is I want you to take that number and realize that Jesus Christ had to die for every one of those sins in order for you to be able to go to heaven. Because if there was even one that was left out, you would be without hope. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. What is the next part of examining our hearts? Ephesians chapter 2 verses Beginning at verse 1, here we need to look this morning and see what we need to do to make sure that all of me 
is on Christ. In other words, there is no reason or no room to be able to boast of myself. You want to know where you stand before God? If you have never placed your faith in Him, this is where you are at. And you were dead in trespasses and sins. That's where I was before I came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I couldn't raise myself. I was dead. Not just dead, but as he says here again, dead in trespasses and sins. Not dead in my own goodness. Not dead in my own self-importance or my own righteousness, self-righteousness. There's nothing in the Bible that says that God tells me that I've got to learn to love myself or to forgive myself before he, I can understand what he wants from me. No, we need to be willing to come as he, he, uh, Paul continues in Ephesians chapter 2, look down at verse 8 and verse 9. For by, what is that word? Grace. You have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. You don't even have the ability to be able to put your faith together in action. It only comes from the Holy Spirit of God. Not as a result of works. So that how many can boast? No one. This is why Paul says to the church at Philippi in chapter 2, he says, there is a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Amen. Guaranteed. So this morning we ask ourselves as we examine our hearts, is all of me on Christ or is there something in me that I think I can work a deal out with God to get to heaven? If you're examining your hearts and you're listening to the truth of the scriptures this morning, you will know that there is nothing that you can bring to the table. You will know that what Christ offers, he doesn't ask you to bring anything. He simply says, whosoever will may come and drink of the water of life freely. That's it. There's no criteria. It doesn't matter whether you're rich doesn't matter whether you're poor. doesn't matter whether you're a student. It doesn't matter whether you're retired. doesn't matter whether you're a little child downstairs in the children's church. doesn't matter whether you've been in the church for 50 or 60 or 70 years. What matters is what have you, second question, have you done with Christ? You see, the only criteria for coming to Christ is that we must believe that we are a sinner. Because if you have never come to the point where you believe that you're a sinner, then Jesus Christ didn't come to die for you. He didn't pay for your sins. The Lord Jesus Christ made that very clear. I came into the world to save sinners. Fourthly, I'm now speaking to believers. Am I forsaking or participating in willful sin? 1 John chapter 3. You see, I know that there are people, we had one gentleman in our church in England, he's now passed on to be with the Lord. 
and he struggled every time we had we held communion there in the church that I pastored. We held it twice a month. We held it once in the morning and once in the evening two weeks later. And I noticed one time that he didn't partake of the Lord's table. And he noticed me looking at him. We made eye contact. And he came up to me and he said, I noticed that you looked over at me. I said, yes, it wasn't intentional anyway. He said, well, he says, I, I want you to know that I haven't partaken of the Lord's table for over 20 years. He says, I've gone to the services, but I haven't partaken. I said, why not? He said, because I'm not worthy. I said, if it was based on your worthiness, nobody would partake. You see, it's not based on what we can work up. When we come here to the table, it's not because I'm a pastor that I have the privilege of being able to take this. It's not because I'm a member of Yellowstone Baptist Church. I come because I am a sinner saved by grace. This is why we can partake. This is why you can partake. And it's a reminder for you. If there is something in your heart between you and the Lord, you take care of it while you're sitting there. Lord, forgive me of my sin. And then partake with rejoicing, knowing that 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You should not be withholding yourself from the table of the Lord. It is a testimony to those around you that you recognize the truth of what I'm sharing with you today. First John chapter 3. Look at verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in Him, in Christ, purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, not to leave you there. And in Him, in Jesus Christ, there is no sin. No one who abides in Christ or in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. Here's what John is saying. If you are living in willful disobedience to the commands of Christ, and you have no desire to change your lifestyle, if you have no desire or conviction in your heart to seek the forgiveness of God, this table is not for you. You see, part of this table is because of the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers. But there is hope. You see, the hope is that because we recognize what the Word of God has to say, we can then come, we can partake together, rejoicing that not only are we forgiven, but that our, our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Number five, am I right with others? Well, this is a tough one. You see, because in the flesh, you and I do not like to be humble. We don't like to live in a way in which humility is one of the gracious gifts that is given to us by God. But a lot of times we don't put it into practice because it's tough for us to do that. We like having our way. We like to be right. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. 
Ephesians chapter 4. Be kind to one another. As I read this particular passage in my in my mind, if you will, I can see Paul as he's sitting there in that Mamertine prison in the dungeons of Rome, knowing that his life could be taken at any time. As Brother Al, where's Brother Al? There he is. As Brother Al said during the Sunday school lesson, uh, Paul, Paul none, none of them, they didn't write against the Roman Empire. Jesus didn't. He said, be faithful where you have been called. If you're a soldier, be a good soldier. If you're a servant, be a good servant. But as he's sitting there with parchment and a quill in hand, maybe, maybe with his bad eyesight, he might have had a candle. Maybe he's just able to use a little bit of light that would have come through the grates because the Mamertine prison was actually underneath the streets of Rome. And as he's writing on the parchment, he says, be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Why? Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And I know I've shared this before, but because... We are at the Lord's table this morning. I hope maybe if you haven't heard it before that you will hear it now. There is nothing, nothing that anybody else in the world can do to you or against you that is greater than your own sin against the Most High God. And if the Lord Jesus Christ could extend forgiveness to you, we have a responsibility to extend forgiveness to others. That's biblical. And when we partake, we are saying there is nothing between me and God. There is nothing between me and another brother or sister in Christ. Finally, let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. examination this morning that I want you to do is whether you love the fellowship of the saints. You see, Paul is not writing to individuals. There are a lot of people who would say, well, where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst of them, so I'll just stay home or go out in the field and go camping. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that when we come together, we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together that as brothers and sisters, when we partake what we are showing to the rest of the world, to the congregation is this, that we believe Jesus Christ is going to return. And that because he is going to return, we have the privilege of taking this, as we said earlier, one more time and one less time until we gather together and we sit down together at the table of the Lord at the marriage supper of the Lamb. But the question is, do we love the fellowship of the saints? 
Look at verse 18, 1 Corinthians 11. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, he's writing this to believers, not individuals. I hear there are divisions. I believe it in part. There must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat or drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? Here's what was happening. The rich and the poor were gathering together to be able to worship the Lord on this, on this, uh, in, in the Sunday service. And as they came together, the rich people were bringing their filet mignon and the poor were left with nothing but scraps of food. And Paul is reminding them, when you come together, it's not about what you bring to the table, it's about what has been provided for you on your behalf. Do we love the fellowship of the saints? These are the exams that you need to ask yourself. We could have asked many more. But the question is, are you prepared? Are you prepared this morning to accept the words of Scripture as they have been given this morning, revealing to you the truth of what God says in His Word, revealing the truth that this is for all who believe, all who come by faith, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, plus nothing, minus nothing. You may say, well, what if I've never done that? The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. The Bible is very clear that today you can come, you can bow at the foot of the cross, and you can call out to God for mercy. You know, when we look at Matthew chapter 24, for example, we look at the Olivet Discourse that the Lord Jesus Christ gave, one of the saddest verses I believe in all the scripture is the one that says, there are going to be many who say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do all of these things? And he's going to look at them and say, I never knew you. There are going to be pastors, deacons, teachers, church members. There are going to be all kinds of people who are in that group who are going to hear Jesus say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. How do they get to that point? Because they never had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, you have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to come to the point where he has forgiven you. He has brought you to the point where you have sought repentance from him. Have you been forgiven? For those of us who are believers this morning... As you take the elements as they pass by you, and you pass it from one person to another, if you do not feel that you can partake, that's fine. Just let the plate pass you by. But if you know that you have been forgiven, if you know there is nothing that stands between you and your Heavenly Father, then reach out and take that cup. Hold that cup until we partake together. Hold that bread in your hand until we partake together. Knowing that one day, all of this, all of the stuff that you see around us, one day we're not going to have to worry about setting up chairs. We're not going to have to worry about whether there's anything on the floor. We're not going to have to worry about anything, including sin. Because we will be clothed perfectly 
and the garments of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for all of eternity, as we have been looking at in the book of Revelation, we will be able to rejoice together with the Lamb who was slain. The Lamb who was slain from before the foundations of the world. Has He forgiven you this morning? You know, I think one of the saddest things, and with this I close, not only is that verse in Matthew chapter 24 sad, that is heartbreaking to me. I think there are going to be people who, are going to th- who think that they are going to stand before God and they're more concerned about what the people sitting next to them think instead of what God says. That may be you this morning. You're more concerned about what the person next to you. Well, what if I go, what if I go up and I talk to the pastor and I tell him that, that I really don't know that I'm a true believer and I get saved? The Bible says there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels over every sinner who repents. And everybody who is a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ will rejoice with you that you now know your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Don't be one of those people who stand before God and say, I wish, <coughs> wish I would have done something. I wish I wasn't worried about mom or dad. I w- wish I wasn't worried about my spouse. I wish I wasn't worried about my parents. I wish I wasn't worried about whatever it may be. Because your relationship with God is not based on them. It's based on you and God. God alone was the one who died on the cross. Come to him today while there's still time. Let's pray.